950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It is the Matt McNeil Show. Uh, you heard me talk about this. I went and saw it on this wet last weekend, Dial M for Murder over at the Guthrie Theater. Uh, I'll say this. It's one of the more enjoyable theater experiences you will ever have. It is sensational. And one little bit of a suggestion, if I can, for you. Do not read anything necessarily about it before you go because it's so well done and it's fun if you i I, i've never seen it to go in there and not really know what it was about to go and witness it it was an absolute treat just wonderful kind enough to join us right now to about dial him for murder over the guthrie is the adapter for the play jeffrey hatcher is kind enough to join us to talk about his work on the play and putting it on at the guthrie jeffrey thank you very much i appreciate the time Oh, no, it's great uh, Great to be had. Well, you, of course, done many things over at the Guthrie. You've also worked on Broadway, uh, film and television. You've been writing there. Numerous awards you've won. Uh, if I can start for a lot of people out there, just what exactly is the role of an adapter when it comes to a play? Well, usually uh, it means that you're adapting from a different medium. You know, somebody might say, here's a novel, or here's a, either they've even done it with films. In this case, it's a play from the uh, early 1950s, and it's a very good play written by Frederick Knott. And in this case, the uh, uh, the people who asked me to, to work on it said, is there a way that we can make it feel a bit more contemporary without changing the time period? Uh, is there something we can do in the women's roles that might give them a bit more to do? And uh, are there a few twists and turns that we can get into the show without upending any of the clockwork plotting? Because it's it's very much a uh, one of those crafted plays from that period that are all about the clues and the twists and the turns. And so you don't want to screw anything up when you're adapting something like that. Uh, I'm going to say this, and you, I don't. I hope I don't offend you by saying this. The changes you've made make this this play make Dialing for Murder insanely relatable even though it is still staged is what late early 60s late 50s early 60s when the staging is the mid 50s i think it's fair mid 50s what you have done with your adaption with your slight changes which have, have have really resonate has made that it is so so relatable and and enjoyable and and understandable the what you have done with that well, thank you. I, I, I think we can give away one thing about uh, these changes, and that's that in the original play, the, um, there's an affair in the middle of all these murder plots. And it was a love affair between a man and a woman, as one might assume from that period. And the big switch here is that we decided that um, we'd switch one of the uh, characters, the man, to a woman. So it's an affair between two women. And it's amazing what it does just by altering that with one click. Uh, suddenly, fear becomes increased. Suspense, um, you know, the, the need to hide oneself from uh, the the glare of the society in which you live. And this is a very upper crust London couple. So, you know, what was at one point an affair that, of course, had to be covered. This is life and death stuff mm-hmm. uh, by altering that. And when you did that, I mean, that's one of the things which is just amazing. Is you've actually done something to where you've added more tension to a version because it resonates more now even though it's it's kind of kind of more of a modern theme the 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 impacts of that one change 
if you apply it to the mid 1950s, you know, you don't let that go by that. This is this would be it, it goes from just a scandal to this would be sensationalized beyond sensationalized at that point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, the play was in uh, Chicago recently uh, in a different production. And the artistic director there shared a, a letter they got from a woman. And from what I could glean, the woman was probably in her 60s or 70s, just, just the way she wrote about things. It just felt like that was her, um, yeah, that, that her era was mid-century. And she said she'd been going to the theater for years and years, and she hadn't ever seen a play from this era that spoke to her. She was obviously lesbian, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and that this suddenly you know, had great impact. It's one thing if you're writing a new play about these subjects, and there are a lot of terrific plays about women loving women, men loving men, you know, uh, contemporary plays. But by inserting it into that world, a world that we, you know, think of like a, as a locked door, as a, as a closet that can't be opened, it suddenly, she said she saw her life on stage in a way that she hadn't imagined for the first time. And I was very moved by that because, you know, in one sense, we're still talking about a murder mystery thriller, um, you know, where people stab each other <laughs> and they're inspectors and all that sort of thing. Um, but it, it meant a lot to her, and so I'm extrapolating and imagining it that it must mean a lot to other people, too. Well, and it, and it, it, it basically is almost kind of doing a redo, being able to see something that would have would have helped and resonated back then, only now in a modern sense, because it is un... It is very 1950s. You do a magnificent job, that the entire production does, of staging this where it feels like you are looking at something in the 1950s. Yes, and I mean, it was very important to keep that time period for, for a lot of plot reasons. Yeah. I mean, it's a world of, of rotary telephones and, uh, and real keys that turn locks, so you couldn't update it without losing all that uh, important stuff. But also, the, the, it, it's a societal thing. I mean, we all enjoy going back into that world because it's comfort food, you know? It's yeah. cocktails and martinis and silver and all that. But at the same time, we know about the repression. We understand that now. Um, and it, it makes it much more, much richer territory. Two other things about the adaption. I know, and part of this is the staging and stuff, so it's other people as well involved in the presentation. But first thing, one thing you you, you mentioned in the, the program guide, I, I read that, that interview that you did, and that, you know, th- this is a play that was designed for more of a traditional stage, uh, the, the the McGuire stage kind of thing. This, this is now being, right. though, put out there on the thrust stage, which is, you know, for when you're looking at a theater production, obviously that changes. There's so many different dynamics that can change with that. As the adapter here, how did you ha- have to approach that? Well, that, that's really more the, ca- the, the, the purview of the director. And in this case, Tracy Brigden, who directs the production brilliantly. She's an old friend of mine, and we worked very closely on this production. Um, I mean, she knows how to move people around the stage, but keep the focus precise because prosceniums force you to look just at that one letterbox. But as you say, in the thrust, you know, one of the worst things about a thrust is you're sitting in the house and you look across the stage and you say, hey, that's my dentist over there in row five. <laughs> and it's it's very easy to become distracted by the littlest things. So you have to really orchestrate movement, uh, lighting. You have to uh, Actors have to know when to slow down so that another part of the stage can pop. It, it takes a lot of control, and uh, you know they at a place like the Guthrie on uh, during the previews, different people from the staff would sit at different places, and they'd report back to Tracy 
well, you can't see him for these 10 seconds or somebody's walking in front of a uh, somebody else during a key moment for these five seconds. And so then they have to recalibrate all that stuff. It's it's an amazing dance. And when it works well in, in, a, in a thrust, um, if she actually managed to make that thrust, which has 1,100 seats, feel like a very intimate theater, which is you know kind of unbelievable. It, it, it And she does, Tracy did a great job there. They, one of the things which is so impressive is it feels like you are sitting in the room watching this all unfold. And I mean, I think for whether the adapter, the stage direction, the the director, the actors, if you can get the audience to where they're feeling like they're actually just there as a witness, I mean, then you, you, exactly. you kind of, you, and they, they pull it off. And it's so, it is, that is a really cool stage. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an, an odd little example. All of these actors are the kind of actors who don't need microphones. Um, I mean, they have great developed voices, but, you know, to work on a stage like that without a mic, you have to push a bit. And instead, Tracy said, let's mic them so they can reduce their volume to the kind of volume that you would overhear if you were sitting in the apartment next door. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so in, in effect, the audience doesn't know that they're mic'd, but it, it allows the audience to feel like they're overhearing scenes as opposed to having the stuff... Uh, broadcast at them, which, which is actually what we're doing by making them. So it's a very sly, very clever uh, design scheme, top to bottom, from the the music and the sound effects to the gorgeous sets and costumes. It's um, and, and it's a great use of that space. Jeffrey Hatcher joining us. Uh, he's the adapter for Dial M for Murder over at the Guthrie. Go get tickets. It's it's it plays till the end of February here. We want people to go get tickets. So I have to imagine as you're the adapter for this, that is, and I think this is the correct term to use. That is a tight script. That is a type story. Tight story. I imagine if you're adapting it, that your room somewhat becomes like a conspiracy theory. You know, you know, quorum house where you basically have cards everywhere because of something you got to make sure you. There's so many things you've got to keep track of. It's a great script. It's easy to follow for the the viewer, but there's a lot in there, and you know, you kind of you're, you're kind of paying attention to it. Talk about that challenge because you're looking. Your base material is so so well done originally to make sure that that is not lost. Yeah, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Frederick Knott. In addition to Dial on for Murder, he also wrote Wait Until Dark, which mm-hmm. I think most people know from the Audrey Hepburn, Alan Arkin movie. Um, and it took him seven years to write Dial on for Murder. Meticulous, slow, you know, blueprint work. Uh, for, for me, when you're handed something that good, it's a little like at the end of a Bond film when he's got to turn off the bomb and he's not sure which wire to pull. <laughs> You know, uh, so you have to go in there very surgically and say, well, this works and this works. Here we have a little air to spend. You know, can I try this plot move? And sometimes you try a plot move and you go, no, that's going to upend a bunch of things. So you have to cut it. Uh, But we were able to find a couple areas that say, yeah, I can do that and it won't change anything that Knott did. And it even complements something else. So it's very much uh, surgical work. But uh, if you get into that sort of thing, as I do, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It, it's a, it becomes a puzzle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. very much so, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, your patient is there on the table, um, and there's nothing wrong with the patient. Uh, I suppose it's more like plastic surgery than it would be, <laughs> um, you know, like take the heart out and put a new lung in. But, um, yeah, it, if, 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 if murder mysteries and thrillers are your sort of thing, 
then this is a great joy. You know, it's uh, it's like being asked to to get under the hood of the best Aston Martin that was ever made. As an adapter, one of the things I think which is kind of an important element of what you do is there, the, the history is littered with plays and musicals and things that just disappear. That they're, they're, they might even be wildly popular for 20 years. And then after 1920, no one ever watched it again. And it, it, it's, it's kind of one of the things that there's tons of that stuff out there. And as and an adapter, what you kind of have done with Dial In for Murder here is it's, it's, it's insanely relevant. I mean, it, it's hard to kind of describe that. Like, it's, a 19, it's 1950s. It's, it's an older story. You haven't, it's not like uh, you've upgraded this into, uh, you know, how the Guthrie sometimes does with some of the Shakespeare and puts it in different time zones and stuff. Yeah. But, but it's, it's, it still is that. But by what you've done is you've made this to where for the next 20, 30 years, people will still be able to go to this. And even though it's taking place in the 1950s, it still resonates there. I mean, that's the real talent here is you can take a, 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 a play or a, a piece of work that might be forgotten. And by updating it, I, I, I want to, I, once again, I don't want to upset you, make it a little bit better. Maybe not since necessarily in a, in a literary sense, but in a, in a relatability sense. No, no, I, I know what you mean, and I'm, 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 I'm thrilled that it's getting so many productions, and that people seem to be feeling the same thing that that you've just expressed. Yeah, I think, but it would only work, and and does only work because in the original there is a man who's gaslighting his wife, and there is uh, jealousy and male rage, and there is a love that's trying to struggle its way forward. It, it required a little bit of excavating to make this adaptation, but it was always there. Mm-hmm. So what, what I think you can't do is try to, um, you know, uh, graft something onto something that was never meant to have it, because then the, you know, to continue that, that surgical metaphor, then the, the body rejects the organ. Um, and in this case, because it was always embedded in Frederick Knott's original DNA, it, it was a lot easier to make it bloom and come out. It, it's like you said, it's, the, the humanity is there, the human emotions, the human feelings. Those don't change over time. It's, it's you know, and, and I think, you know, like you said, I, what was the term? Uh, cosmetic surgery. You know, it's, it's more cosmetic than anything else. I think you, you've done a great job there. One last thing I do want to remind uh, ask you about here, just to, for elaborating for the audience. Uh, my wife goes into this, and she said, oh, I love Agatha Christie. I said, well, I don't think this is like Agatha Christie, though. And it's not. There's a there's kind of the whodunits, and then there are thrillers. Describe the, the kind of the difference between those. Sure, sure. Well, uh, with a whodunit, a murder mystery, the question is always who committed the murder? Mm-hmm. You know, who done it? Who's the killer? And that's usually revealed either right at the end or closest to the end. Um, this is what they often call an inverted murder mystery. Uh, and the first examples of that date back to say, the 1890s, uh, in which you know everything about the murder, you know who the killer is, and the tension and suspense is in you watching to see if it's going to work. Uh, is it going to be foiled? Is somebody else going to be killed? Uh, is there going to be a reversal? And the best example, probably for most contemporary audiences, is uh, Columbo. Uh, and even, even more recently, that uh, show on... Uh, Peacock Poker Face, yeah, uh, in which you know there's usually the guest star of the week who's the murderer, and you watch the murder committed, and it seems to be perfect. And then oh, in comes Columbo to unravel it. So Dylan for Murder is like the the first gold standard Rolls Royce version of a great Columbo episode. 
Oh, I would agree with that. And and like I said, your work on it, it it you know didn't change it; it accentuated it. You know, you you got every bit of flavor out of that that you could, and you did a fantastic job. Uh, it is over at the Guthrie. I will say I saw it. I mean, it was packed. I, I don't even know if there are tickets available. I know some people that have tried to go get rush seats and they can't get them. But if you can get tickets, go see it. Dial in for Mar- Murderer over at the Guthrie Theater. It plays until Sunday, February 25th. Uh, yep, yeah, 25th of Deeds. Yeah, yep. it's there then. Uh, Jeffrey, an absolutely an absolute privilege to uh, chat with you. I, I really appreciate you sharing some insights into your work and on this play. Uh, and all my best on this. Congratulations on a great production. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Jeffrey Hatcher, the adapter for Dial M for Murder, kind enough to join us today. Hey, uh, one thing we got to do here before we go into break, I got a pair of tickets to give away to the Meet and Greet with AM 950 next Tuesday over at Park Tavern, 6 to 8 p.m. I got a pair of tickets to give away right now. Caller number 5, 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Caller number 5, you get yourself a pair of tickets to the Meet and Greet with us at AM 950. Good luck on that. We'll come back, wrap up the show. It's the Matt McNeil. Show on AM 950.